Hello and welcome to the Cock and Ball podcast. We are a brand new podcast coupled together for Spurs fans, by Spurs fans and Jim, giving you all the Spurs content that you didn't know that you didn't need. So we know that there's a lot of other pods out there. We're hopeful we can give you enough Tottenham twaddle to keep you entertained each week in the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Lane. At the risk of sounding like a Spurs supporters anonymous, uh, we're going to go around uh, and give each, tell each other who we are. Uh, so my name is Tom. You might hear me referred to as Fen. Uh, I've been a Spurs supporter for 26 years. And I've been trying to guide this uh, pod somewhere down the Tottenham High Road uh, of conversation each week. And I'll be joined each week by three trusty comrades. Firstly, my lifelong friend, Ashley. Uh, if you could just say hello for us. How's it going? Uh, and how long have you been afflicted with supporting Tottenham Hotspur? Yeah, about 26 years as well. 26 painful years. So a bit of background on Ashley. He used to bear an astonishing resemblance to uh, Tottenham legend Steve Malbronk back in year 10 secondary school. And he brings to the pod the perfect balance of passion and pessimism, uh, which is just everything you need to be a Spurs fan. Uh, we're also joined by uh, another good friend of mine, Jules. Just say hello. Hey everyone, how are we doing? <laughs> Tell us, how long, how long have you been afflicted uh, with supporting Spurs? Uh, I'd say 15 years. Uh, so 15 far. years. Yeah. And how long have you existed as a person? I'm 26 years old, I'm afraid. Uh, Jules <laughs> is a uh, former Fulham Academy dropout, although he assures us that he could have made it pro. He loves nothing more than to measure the game in nothing but numbers. Uh, and last but not certainly least, we're joined by Jim. Say hello. Good evening. How are you? Very well, thank you. Jim is a lifelong Stockport County fan. <laughs> Jim is the one who pushes all the buttons that kind of makes this work because none of us are adept enough to do this. Uh, so not only does he he bring us uh, back down to earth on every topic we talk about because he's not actually a Spurs fan, but more importantly, he is an actual journalist. So it's his job to keep this pod very safely uh, within the law, um, which I think is very important. And probably the biggest challenge I've ever had. <laughs> Thank you. So, to understand your characters a bit more, we'll go around the room and say, what is your favourite Spurs memory so we can measure you as Spurs fans and Jim? Uh, for me, it's got to be Ajax. I don't think there's been a moment where I've been as speechless or, you know, just broken down on the floor. No idea what to say, what to think, what was going to happen next. <laughs> it was just a moment of sheer elation. I haven't felt that since Italy won the World Cup. I had to plug that in there at some point. It was one of those, I can't speak moments, you know, that famous rugby league commentary, that, that Castleford commentator who just, oh, I, can't, I can't speak. And I couldn't believe it. For some reason, I was, I was stood in a warehouse in the middle of Manchester watching it on my mate's phone because uh, some of us work for a living. Absolutely fantastic game. Jules, favourite Spurs memory? Uh, favourite Spurs mem- memory, I would say, is drawing two all away with Juventus. Uh, about three years ago now Uh, and the reason for that is because it's probably the one and only time that I thought we maybe were one of the best teams in Europe Uh, when we played. How did that end up? (laughs) Not well. (laughs) Um, I think think Ajax was a special moment. I I remember crying at that uh, when I was with my brother who uh, promptly threw his um, through his Xbox controller at the TV uh, as an Arsenal fan. Uh, but I'd say Juventus was the one time that I was like, 
my God, we've actually gone away to one of the biggest clubs in Europe, and I think we could really do this in a knockout competition. So Juventus would be would be my one, and I love Moussa Dembele, so there you go. Yeah, I've got to say, that's probably the game where everyone in Europe started to actually appreciate Moussa Dembele. It was so underappreciated for so long. Absolute baller. Yeah. What I'll never forget about that game, unfortunately, is the return leg. And I remember sitting up in it somewhere in the upper tier in Wembley, yeah. and that begrudging long walk home. To this day, I've not watched the highlights back. There were certain Spurs games where I do not watch the highlights back. They're deleted from my mind. Therefore, they did not happen. Uh, and that is one of those games, unfortunately. And as a result, that two all Juventus game before that didn't really happen either, you... apart from the highlights of Dembele. I don't know if you remember in the home leg, there was a whole thing about the amount of Juve fans that got into the home end. Uh, and I was, I was at the game with my dad um, my very Italian dad and my very Italian brother. And then when all the Juve fans started chirping and he just, he became the most Cockney lad you've ever heard. Just absolutely <laughs> going off on these Italian guys in the most English accent I've ever heard him speak. It was, it was amazing. He only sings when he's winning. <laughs> so come full time, he was going, he was going full on back to the, uh, his Italian roots. Jim, do you actually have a favourite Spurs memory or are you just pleased to be here? I'm, I'm pleased to have people <laughs> talk to me and pretend to be friends. No, um, I think on a, on a kind of, as a neutral, that, that Ajax game was, was brilliant. And there was a sort of, uh, you sort of wanted, well, I certainly wanted Ajax to win going into it because they were such a brilliant young side but then that game was so good that at the end there was nothing you could do but but kind of applaud it and it's a shame in a way that the, the, the final that followed was ruined by a penalty decision that Jules will never get over uh, and <laughs> still not a pen Even, I, don't care when I think we'll devote an entire pop to that one day but, but it, it, yeah the, 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 the side the, the, the football that Spurs played under under Poch at that, at that point even though it was the Probably the point where Poch should have left after that game was just a, a beauty to behold, and that was um, that, that was great. Um, I suppose the the other one that sort of directly affects me is a four nil defeat at White Hart Lane in two thousand one in the FA Cup, which um, which is about as good as it gets, to be honest. <laughs> it was a, I seem to remember it was a very young Simon Davis when he was a thing scored a scored a brace and beat us four nil. So. Um, that leaves a little mental scar somewhere. It's my 16th birthday on the day itself. I was in the part lane end. I had my name up on the board. And we were 1-0 up at half-time against Wigan. Peter Crouch Colt. And by full-time, Jim Defoe scored five. And, yeah, I remember going, I think maybe it was that year we got to a League Cup final. And there was a guy on the tube who had custom-made his own, which had 9-1 stitched into it. <laughs> and that's how iconic that, that such an absolute thrashing was. And I remember that thrashing was so bad because the year after Wigan came to White Hart Lane, I used to work in the turnstiles, and I was doing the away end of, of that game. And where they'd bought a few thousand for the 9-1 game, which they had to refund them for because <laughs> it was so embarrassing, I think they had about 160 odd fans <laughs> next year, which for uh, an away leg in the Premier League is absolutely embarrassing. But they basically just blankly refused to go. And it, the only blip on that game was that David Bentley, who was a bit of a favourite of mine and Ashley's, he had a goal chalked off because technically it was an own goal by um, Chris Kirkland. 
but that will live long in the memory. Six league birthday, can't ask for anything better. So we've had a pre-season to look at, um, but who's caught your eye? But also who probably needs to pull their socks off ahead of the new season? I think in terms of catching the eye, um, perhaps not a natural choice, but um, I know there's lots of people excited by Harvey White against Watford. Obviously, a 2-1 defeat the other day um, for Spurs, but here's a lad that's 18 years old, came up against probably one of the best sides in the Championship and probably shouldn't have been relegated from the Premier League, to be honest. Um, and by all accounts, really ran the show. Um, and, you know, to be to be 18 and getting favourable comparisons to Ndombele is, um, is a good sign of a bit of talent coming through and, and a sense that, um, that maybe things under Jose don't all have to be insipid and sad and defensive particularly when you look at the way that Spurs' squad has aged in the last few years. There seems to be a, a blooding in of, of decent young players. So after a pretty horrendous six months or so uh, at the start of last season, Spurs can go into this one feeling pretty positive, I think. And that's, uh, it's to, to, I think, to Jose's credit and to, um, and to the players' credit that they've, they've sort of created this sense of things going in the right direction again after it going so horribly wrong last season. It's a weird, weird time in general, but you can't top off 2020 more by having optimistic Spurs fans. It's just <laughs> it's, it's absolutely new ground. And especially under Mourinho as well. He came in and everyone went, well, that's it. We'll part of bus. A load of barley yeah. scorelines. Uh, but actually, we, we, looked, we looked a different shape. Uh, really, but we we address games with a more aggressive start. I would when you talk then about the uh, sort of the pot, well, Poch leaving, Mourinho arriving, and how that kind of went. Um, I I saw some interesting uh, stat, uh, sort of stats and kind of analysis about oh, how classic they classic Jules. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Go on, hit me. Um, our our uh, sort of performance in terms of XG for, for goals that we would score and goals to concede um, veered more aggressively than any other team in the league. So essentially, we had the tightest defence in the league, or should have had it, uh, in the first nine games of Mourinho. So Mourinho comes in, he can play it long up to Kane, it works well, you get the manager bounce, great. Uh, Kane then gets injured, and Sissoko gets injured, and we became one of the worst teams in the league. Like that, our defence fell off because uh, I think we didn't have that long ball on. Um, players are getting exhausted, and then we end the season when everyone's back and sort of fit again, and it sort of starts to come back. And there's a few defensive errors, but you know we were playing some pretty good teams in the run-in, so that's understandable. Um, but I think we—it doesn't really feel like a pre-season because the players have only just—they've only just gone away. <laughs> they must be absolutely exhausted. So it's like they've gone to Pontins for a long weekend and then and that's it. We're back to work. <laughs> Two days of annual leave, you start, that's it. Come back. <laughs> it was a hard pre-season, really, to assess. I don't think anyone really stood out as being absolutely brilliant. But I um, I went on a similar lines with Jim, where I thought like, Jack Clark stood out a little bit with his direct running. Um, and he actually did look a threat on quite a few occasions. There's still, you can see the glimpses of talent and you can see why we bought him. Um, he's going to be useful in, you know, with the man ready we've got to the start at the start of the season. So I think he'll get quite a few minutes in the Europa League game, uh, qualifiers. I think he'll do. I think he'll do a decent job. The talent is there. 
Do you think he could be a sort of backup right winger? Because I think on the left, we've got quite a few options, don't we, with Son and Bergvine, who I think, you know, will kind of dominate those two spots. Um, could he be... It seems like Mora seems to have earned Mourinho's yeah, yeah. sort of caught the eye, doesn't he? Unfortunately, um, <laughs> so it's, I don't it's, know. I don't. I don't think long term. Well, sorry, I think long term. Um, preferably, I'd like to see us go into the market, um, but for a different type of winger. So we've got the the Sons and the um, and the Moras that are going to try and get in the box and create the goals and the Bergvine, who's a bit more mercurial and you, you, mm. sometimes he goes in, sometimes he goes out. Um, but I want to see a creative outlet out there. Um, it's Gareth Bale. It's got to be Gareth Bale. <laughs> <laughs> There's one no, player so... who wants us to sign. It's Gareth Bale. <laughs> the romanticised dream of a, an absolute top professional golfer. Not even our wing. Yeah, Chippy the strange illusion that will be coming home. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would agree with Jim that Harvey White, Harvey White, uh, sort of caught my eye and I said it to, to Ash in so many early games that I wanted him to be a bit more positive when I think as the games went by his confidence grew and you could see that he was willing to to play a, a more of a penetrative ball and I sort of I semi like Jim's comparisons to him with Ndombele but obviously I have seen shipping containers trap back better than Ndombele <laughs> and I, I thought Harvey White was actually far better at uh, getting stuck in. And as the Dennis Serkin as well was getting a lot of minutes. Uh, he Clearly, he probably does need a few more years just to get used to that, that physicality. But he, I feel like he reads the game well. He, he, he sits quite well and he listens, more importantly, to whatever Joe Hart is actually trying to <laughs> shout at people um, and whatever the centre-back is saying. So I think he's... And also whatever Ledley King is saying to him. So he's clearly willing to learn, and that's quite exciting. Fenn said, which I thought was, when you originally asked the question, you said, who caught the eye? Joe Hart caught my eye, because if nothing else, he's a good-looking lad, isn't he? I mean, fair play. <laughs> he's, he's come in, and you can see they're going to get their merchandise value out of him. Even if it's just, even if it's just third kit sales, I'm telling you. Goldmine, absolute goldmine. Head, head and shoulders are rubbing their hands. and uh, <laughs> it's, it's Well, he is head and shoulders the, above the rest, isn't he? Of the leading... Uh, of the leading Hair care brands are available. Let's uh, <laughs> move Ludicum to Spurs so you can't see the dandruff on his shoulders. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, well, we, it's probably dust from our bloody trophy shelf that's going to end up on his shoulders. And, but at least it won't be dandruff. Uh, we've sort of touched on transfers a bit. We've talked about the sort of player that we might want to bring in. The obvious elephant in the room is a backup striker. It almost doesn't actually need talking about it. It's so blatantly obvious. Mm. But what about people who could potentially move on? Because it's uh, it's not it's not like a property market where a first-time buyer can come in. You need a chain to set off a series of transfers. So, so who goes? I think Rose has got to be one of the first ones. Yeah. Absolutely loved him the whole time. But a player, I mean, I don't know if you've watched the documentary. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but I think it's been all over social media anyway, hasn't it? I've just um, watched it. Have you? So, yeah, so a player who's not that happy is so hard to reintegrate him, especially when they've been out on loan. Like, he's, he's, he's a good footballer, and he certainly was probably, in my view, maybe one of the best left-backs in the world at peak. But you can see he must be an absolute nightmare to manage. You sometimes want characters like that, don't you, that, that will sort of 
nudge the apple cart a bit, but, but I do think his time's up. And I, I wonder whether as well we've seen the last of Juan Foyth. I'm not sure where he fits enough to warrant keeping him. I mean, there's even a conversation to be had. I don't think he moves on, but there's even conversations to be had about people like Deli Ali, who by all accounts had quite a good pre-season. But you look at Spurs' best eleven and the possibility of maybe a couple of others coming in, and I'm not quite sure where whether the best eleven has him in it. Um, I don't think it does, personally. Of the top players, if a bid comes in, I think he's the one that we might actually listen to, whereas Son and Kane, we're more yeah. likely to just bat him off straight away. Mm. But Jose mm-hmm. seems to love him, doesn't he? Is it, one of the first things he said that he loves his, his aggressiveness, and he was a player that Alex Ferguson wanted him to sign when Mourinho was at United. Mm. And to now find himself in a position where he's trying to get the best out of him. I would have got the boring problems of the homegrown quota. We've already got 17 out of 17 foreign players in that team. And realistically, if we're selling Deli Ali, is there a better, better Englishman that we can bring mm-hmm. in? The one that comes to mind is obviously Grealish. I'm absolutely fuming that Villa today signed Ollie Watkins because yeah. um, he was a big favourite of mine. And I liked his... Whenever I've watched him play, I just think he's a he's a really good all-round kind of option. But I also think his flexibility across the front line, when you've got someone like that, it means you can give them minutes in any competition, depending on kind of the setup and who else you want in there. Um, and I look now at him being gone, and I think, is there another person who can play back up to Kane, can also maybe play coming in off a wing, who's English, he's homegrown, he's of the required age, and costs less than £30 million. And I, <laughs> I can't think of it. It sounds like from the players we're going and the players we've been linked with. So was it? There's the, there was the guy in France, um, Habib Diallo, and today uh, is it Pace and Decker as well from RB Salzburg. But Mourinho's got a type, isn't he? He's like, you know, the guy, the single guy, you take on nights out, and he's always looking for a certain set type of girl when he's on the dance floor. And unfortunately for Mourinho, it's like. You know, someone who's six foot four and built. Um, but who, who is that player? Which is also, you know, could you... we all look for that on the dance floor? But who, who is the player that is out there that is available realistically to fit that mould? And I, I can't really think of anyone. I think oh, when, we, this... when Harry Kane is gone, the thing we miss most it's not it's not necessarily his goals because Son chips in, Delelli might get a few, and Lucas. What we miss is the link-up play that he brings in and, you know, the way he occupies the centre-backs and creates the spaces for, for the other attacking players. So I don't think necessarily the big six-foot-four guy necessarily that's going to come in and win every single header. Um, it's more someone that can link up the play, who's going to be able to get the ball on the deck and, you know, do the little little touches that's going to bring in the likes of Dele Alli and, and, and Sonny um, whilst sort of just staying within that 18-yard box. Lorento's gone now. Well, there's a few. There's a few. Like, there's the guy from Saint St. Petersburg. There's the guy from Saint Petersburg, Sada Azmoun, the Iranian international, and he's he's put up some pretty impressive numbers. I wonder as well. Just thinking, going back to the thing about trying to get some sort of homegrown players in there as well. I wonder whether Spurs could do worse than somebody like Max Ahrens, decent, you know, twenty-year-old player, very good going forward, quite agile. Very good at beating his man. Uh, Norwich have just gone down to the championship. They want a lot of money for him, but at that age, you've, there's a lot of potential there. Um, and let's be honest, replacement for Serge Aurier wouldn't be a bad thing. You know, that's, that, that feels like a 
pretty natural fit, I think. It uh, feels like a FIFA signing for me at the same time. It's the, it's the up-and-coming player I bring in to replace the incumbent. And obviously, Doherty is a class signing. Aris yeah. is going to realistically cost you 10 to 15 mil. Where else is that money best spent? Definitely on a striker when you've got like Jaffet mm. Tanganga, Juan Foyth can play there. Uh, Sanchez can even play there if you you know if you lose a bet. So <laughs> I think when you're looking at the purse strings and you're looking at the priorities, I can't see Aaron's happening. I don't. I, I like it romantically because I think he's he's a he's a smart little player. But it, it just feels like one of those opportunities to pick up those kinds of players that maybe aren't quite ready. But if the market is going to be suppressed a little bit, then the chances are you're going to get a player for less this summer than you might in a year or two's time when things might be uh, a little bit better. Um, or, or maybe not. Maybe maybe half the football clubs in existence disappear and you can pick up a player for a fiver and a packet of peanuts. But um, when, we, when we talk about kind of where the money's best spent, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Aaron's and I, I was, I've told Ben about him for a while and said, you know, I'd love to see him come in. Um, I think you made the point earlier, Jim, about, you know, Foyt leaving and... Uh, you know, we spoke about Rose needing to leave and how Cirkin had had a good preseason. I think one thing we're going to need to do even more in the next five years, um, given the, the sort of financial impact that will come from from what we're obviously all going through, is make a clear pathway into the first team for your best young players, so that they fill those incumbent roles, even if it's a backup, you know, position, and then you spend your money on the areas team you need. And I'd look at Tottenham and say, well, actually, you've got Cirkin and Cessignon. On the left-hand side, as backup to Davies, you've got uh, Tanganga and, you know, Foyt could, again, yes, and says play at right-back. I think you need to get out, you know, you, you need to clear the decks to allow for those guys to start getting their minutes because otherwise they end up 23 and not really having played many games and it's a, it's tricky to shift them on. So for that exact reason, I was, I was a bit upset that we didn't go and get Callum Wilson because he's at that perfect age where... He could be in the team for three or four years, been a good backup to Kane, um, coming in when we need him in the cup game, etc. But he also doesn't block that path for Parrot, um, who realistically is going to need three or four years before he's going to step up and make a real impact in the first team. So now for our most attractive feature of a brand new pod, we'd be pleased to know it's for one week only, because once you get the answer, that's it. What is my waiting list position for a season ticket? <laughs> at White Hart Lane, you were you were offered one a few um, years ago, weren't you, with a new stadium? If was, I remember correctly, uh, uh, I was hoping you, you you wouldn't bring that up so publicly. Um, <laughs> You're asking us to guess. <laughs> well, basically, right for context, I was offered a season ticket at Wembley. I took it, um, but I spent most of my time in the Park Lane end with uh, Ashley here, and that was great. Because the season ticket I had was up in the gods. So I just sent me mum instead. Uh, she had a great time. But when I was offered it for the new ground, I could have had a season ticket. But you were looking at £900 to a grand to sit up in the gods. And that isn't why I go to football. And I've seen so much football from a certain height <laughs> that I just I have to be close to the pitch. Yeah. And... I want to be able to hear the players talk, and that's how I justify turning down um, my season ticket. Please don't write in with what you think about that. But 
as a result, I'm now... That, was, the... that was a message to our listener there. Yeah, all three of them. <laughs> if we're lucky. We're gonna, we might be inundated by a tweet. You never know. But where am I now? I'm at the back of the queue. Where am I now? Give me a number. I'll, I'll accept to the nearest thousand, and the winner will win, I don't know, probably like Hi. a handshake when this is all over. I would say, what about 60,000? I was going to go in a bit lower than that, to be honest. I was thinking more like 27,000. Uh, I will go for 33,500. Mm, very accurate to the nearest thousand, Jim. Um, <laughs> the nearest was, Jules, you said 60,000. Correct. You are kind of the winner. The correct answer is actually got six figures in. Wow. It is a, a 106,053. So I have to find that many people to murder <laughs> just to get me a season ticket. Well, the Dare Skywalk promotion is doing its job, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. Wow. So you need everyone in the stadium to have a, uh, a, a rather unfortunate accident and then everyone who takes the replacement ticket to have a rather unfortunate accident, accident again, and then you'd be in. And then you've still got another 12,000 to go. Yeah, I mean, they've, obviously they've released a new Dare Skywalk, which could probably take about, what, 12 people up there? So Jules you did tell me that 106,000 divided by 12. How many Dare Skywalks do I need to go wrong before <laughs> I get foot in the door? You need about eight and a half. Mm, close to nine. Wow. <laughs> they say that I'm the pedant. Okay. Uh, so the, the, the long and short of this, uh, Tom, is you've got a bloody long wait. Yeah. Uh, yeah. New season ahead. Let's talk a bit more generally about football, if I may. Where should we start? Should we start top four, bottom three? Where, where do you think we're going to be as for Spurs? Because uh, you might not all put us in the top four. You might even put us in the bottom three. Uh, <laughs> but finally... Let's try and predict the date for uh, Jose sacking because unfortunately it'll probably happen at some point. Could we start with the bottom bottom three? Because it's nice to think about fans who are going to have a worse season than us. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, all three of them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll I'll kick off. I think I can see Villa going down. I think Fulham, and I think West Brom. And my, my one sentence on each would be, I think Villa can't score goals for Toffee. Um, I think Fulham, I, I love my local I love my local club, but they haven't bought in anyone special and they were pretty average in the championship last year. So I don't think Scotty Parker's immaculate hairdo and 180 degree turns is going to help at this stage. Uh, and West Brom, I don't, the problem for me with West Brom is that I don't know anything about them. And if I don't know any of your players, that's usually a sign that they're probably championship players. And Grady being gone... the same about Sheffield United last year. Yes. And that is, in my view, one of those freak moments where you get a manager who really takes a club and a group of players somewhere special. In the same way Bielsa will with Leeds, in my view. The only difference I had to your bottom three was I put in Brighton instead of Villa. Um... I think they've made one good signing in Veltman, um, but I think they, they rode their luck on a lot of occasions last year. Um, I can't see it happening. I am, I am a bit concerned with Leeds 
if I'm honest as well. Um, the players they've brought in don't have Premier League experience. Um, and plus they've got that history over the last three or you know, two or three seasons of burning out halfway through. Um, I think the break held them out a lot this year. Um, not that I kept up with the championship that well, but um, that, that is a danger that hopefully they can steer past because it's good to have a team like Leeds back in the Premier League. My girlfriend's a, a loyal Leeds fan. Uh, can't say it's too loudly, but I hate Leeds. I've got a feeling that Leeds um, will do, like, like Ash says, Leeds, I think, will do a, a classic BL. So I think they'll start, they'll come out of the traps at a 1,000 miles an hour and they'll do really well for a month or two. And then you'll get to whatever the equivalent of the post-Christmas break is this year mid-March or whatever, and they'll just crash and burn and they'll go from 10th to 17th, but stay up. Um, I've gone quite different, actually. I agree on Villa. Um, I just don't think they've got enough. And if particularly if they, they can't keep hold of Grealish, I think they're toast. Um, for me, I would be really very, very worried if I was a Crystal Palace fan. Um, looks like they're going to lose Wilfred Zahar. They were on a torrid run at the end of last season. I think they lost seven or eight successive games at the end of last season, which kind of went under the radar a bit. I'm amazed that um, Roy Hodgson's still in the job. I, I honestly don't know how he kept his job. Um, and I think they, they're they on that trajectory that suggests they're heading in the wrong direction. And the other one for me is, I think, West Ham. Um, you love to hear it. From an they've absolute got, outsider, well, as they, well. <laughs> absolute no bias, and he's got a neutral Well, you just even for West Ham. I mean, West Ham are a. I saw a headline a, a few months ago about about West Ham at the back end of last season, and it was the Diamond Geezers have built a rhinestone football club. <laughs> <laughs> you, you add in the the general sort of uh, shambles that they are. To David Moyes, who's who's best, the best he can do is, I have the best win percentage amongst a number of managers. Uh, <laughs> Tim Sherwood. Has I assume he's yeah, of, of, um, of Tim Sherwood, like you say. And, and, uh, There's nothing wrong with good data. There's nothing wrong with the stats don't lie, do they? Good data. Um, yeah, I, I, again, I, just, I mean, I, I see the sense in others. I think Brighton will be pretty close, and I think West Brom will be at the wrong end of the table, but they've got the one thing they've got to their advantage is Slavin Bilic. Um, so they'll be well drilled, very well organised, tough to beat, uh, and I think they'll try and play the game in the right way, and that will possibly see them okay. Um, but I, I look forward to getting to eight months' time and looking back at this and seeing how wrong we all were. And the bottom three is actually uh, Burnley, Newcastle, and uh, Everton. I do like the idea, Jim. That uh, I don't know. I think I always thought with Billich, I, I thought I sort of had a soft spot for him, even even when he was at West Ham. I did. I thought he always conducts himself very well. I can see him. He's a mm. good manager, and I agree that. That Moyes and uh, Hodgson are not, not in my view, particularly stellar quality. Um, but I actually think you guys may be doing a disservice to to two of the best players in the championship last year. So Ben White has come back on loan from Leeds to Brighton, and they're all preseason. They played a back three, and he's like stepping out yeah. the fence and distributing. And I don't know. I could see that. I, I actually, whenever we whenever we play Brighton, I always think they actually play pretty tidy football. I could see him being okay. 
Um, and if we had three nil, they were all right, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Final nail in Pochettino's coffee. Um, and the other one, Jim, is uh, of course uh, Eze, who's yeah. Uh, gone, yeah. gone from QPR. And I, I just yeah. think whenever I've looked at uh, Crystal Palace and Fen, we went to potentially the worst game of football I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen some doozies. But we were hammered enough to not care. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was Newcastle away at Palace, and my God, it's an awful place. Um, but you can't even see the other side of the ground. It's it's done. Um, um, Eze, I just feel like he Palace have always lacked that one extra wide, that one extra danger man in the team that means that you can't just kick Zaha. And I think if he comes out and he plays the way that he he did in the Championship. Um, which obviously is a big ask, faster division, better quality, less you know, less of the ball. But I don't know. I think those two uh, those two could be sort of surprise packages in the Prem. I would have loved to seen us take take Eze maybe. Top four. Who's your champion? That's uh, difficult. And I've gone back back with City at the top this year. I don't think Liverpool can maintain the level um, that they've had for the last two years. They haven't really brought anyone in. I know they're linked with Thiago. Um, and he he can be a game changer because the only one thing that has stopped them really from being absolutely unplayable um, constantly is a bit more creativity in midfield. Um, so I'm a bit worried if they get him in. But I've gone with City. Um, I just think that they will improve in the right areas. They've brought in a replacement for for Sane straight away. Um, they got Nathan Ake in, which I think is a good deal, good bit of Premier League experience. Um, and obviously they've got the pep factor, haven't they? Just beautiful. So I've relegated Liverpool back to second. Um, and the next two uh, was a was a heart versus mind um, thing to go through there. Um, I've, gone, I've put Spurs in at third. I've been a bit optimistic. Um, and I've gone with Chelsea at fourth. Mentalist. <laughs> well, the reason I went with Chelsea at fourth is because even with the plays they've brought in, um, I think realistically Ziyech might get in on the right, but I can't see it. Um, and maybe have it over Ali, depending on how he adapts. But I don't think um, anyone else. I don't think Werner or um, or Pulisic are in our team over Kane and Son. Um, so have they have they improved to the point where they're better than us? I don't think so. And I know they finished above us last season, but obviously we had some ridiculous ridiculous injuries. Um, so if we bring in a striker and they don't bring in a top quality goalkeeper. I think I can see us finish third with them finishing fourth. I I, I thought about this uh, and I had to to consider my own prejudices. I'm sure the pod will learn in time my visceral hatred for anything to do with Manchester City. I do think the gap will narrow massively between City uh, and Liverpool. But I was thinking about this, that I think they do need to make a signing or two, Liverpool. But when you just look at the transfer market and what everybody else is trying to do, they're all trying to be as good as Liverpool are already. I don't think they'll have as good a season next year, but you look at them, they got I think they got ninety-eight points one season and ninety was it ninety-nine last year, ninety-eight again, I can't remember, but incredible points tallied. And I think I just favour them to to do it this time in a more competitive race with City. Um that said, I wouldn't be surprised if City did finish top, as uh, sad as that would be. But I think I think Liverpool City top two. Chelsea don't seem to have remedied their problem, which is they can't defend. Um, and they've been splashing silly money on great attacking unit, but they still haven't really addressed how to defend. Um, but I think they're 
taking the approach under Lampard of you score three, we'll score four. Um, yeah, and worth remembering that Chelsea weren't very good this year and they still did okay. So uh, I've got them third and and I think uh, probably Man United in fourth. Um, that United, it's hilarious how funny um, and how dodgy United have been and can be, but you just look at what they've done since January. Bruno Fernandes has changed them a lot. Donny van der Beek is a great signing for them. Um, I think I saw a stat that he has scored as many goals in the box over the last three seasons as Man United. Uh, <laughs> so, so that that will that will aid them. And I just look at the others. I look at the chasing pack. Leicester, I think, revert to type next year. Spurs are Spursy. How do we mute him? <laughs> That's the title of the project. Spurs or Spursy. Yeah. And, and Arsenal are heading in the right direction, but they're not that good. So I, I just can't see anybody else quite making the top four this year. So where have you put Spurs, more importantly? Spurs, I think, will be uh, fifth. Fifth? What a save. I, I, I nearly relegated you to just merely pushing buttons there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt at this point because, as is quite often the case for me, I find myself agreeing with Jim on his diagnosis of pretty much everything he's just said um i i think also um we forget sometimes that you know as jim says liberal set the standard and next year they will still have four of the world back five you know they they have the world's best keeper the world's best wing backs the world's best center half so for me liverpool are still going to be if they can add tiago he's an amazing player he's probably my favorite center mid but even if they don't they're going to retain that standard and you look at City, and I know Ashley mentioned Ake, and he mentioned, uh, I know they bought Ferran Torres. And I don't think either of those players start in their best 11 playing the biggest games. So there's also this beautiful thing as City play the most stunning, easy on the eye football, but there's something that is so nice about them in a way is there's this fallibility about them. There's a, they're not perfect. You can beat them. Get in behind, and you'll beat them. And Liverpool don't have that weakness in the way that City do. And in a sense, that sort of imperfection is what makes City City. But I just think you can see them slipping up three or four times in a way you can't with Liverpool. I'll, I'll finish off of mine. So, no, I, I, I agree with Jim on pretty much everything. You know, Liverpool, City, Chelsea, United. Um, I also am a little bit scared with United. When I look at Mason Greenwood, he's uh, a round peg for a round hole. He's a perfect fit. Um, if you wanted a youth team player to come through of that ability who can play on the right, cutting inside or, and, you know, shooting with either foot like that, he's unfortunately fixed for them one of their problem positions. Uh, so that I've got the same top four. I sadly think that we'll finish behind Arsenal. Uh, I know that is treasonous to say. Um, <laughs> this but... sums up the first 11 years of your life. <laughs> just floating around not having a designated club <laughs> I, I, I sadly think that Arsenal uh, I think Mikel Arteta is a very good manager and I think they've got a really good crop of young players uh, and I think that's going to going to give them the edge I also wouldn't be surprised if we started to get towards the end of the season and we're in the Europa League which I privately think we might win um, I wouldn't be surprised if Jose starts to to, to play the first team on a Thursday night and play the, the reserves 
on a Sunday. So I, I are have in the league. He did that with United, didn't he? When they won the cup, he, he, yeah. that was their route to the Champions League. Exactly, exactly. Not, not a very private opinion now, though, Jules. Do you, do you, um, do you have a uh, not necessarily a team that you think will overperform or underperform or anything like that, but just one to watch that will be a fascinating tale next season? It's got to be Leeds. I think we touched on it, but anything can happen with Leeds. Um, they can come in and um, and play scintillating football where they're everybody's throats constantly um, and start the season, you know, the first 20 games, get a decent number of points and then we can just start to see them slipping away um, but I think I, I, don't, I can't remember if anybody um, I don't know if anybody remembers the game they played against Arsenal in the cup and for 45 minutes they, they looked like the Premier League team and they made Arsenal look like a championship team um, but I think that game was a perfect little example of, of Leeds where they can look amazing for long periods and then towards the end they start to tire and things start to come apart so pure interest factor I think it's got to be Leeds yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think Leeds, um, the, my only thing with Leeds is it's great to have a high press until you play teams that are comfortable to play around your high press. Um, so I think they might win some games 4-1 and they might also get absolutely battered in some others. Um, so that'll be good TV. Um, so Blackpool get about them, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, my, my sort of private, um, I, have a, I have a soft spot for, for Newcastle and mm. they've made some of the most hilariously sensible signings. <laughs> frustratingly sensible. In, I, yeah, in, they, I'm so used to enjoying watching with great mirth their, their activities. And they've gone out and they've bought such logical players. You see Wilson, you see um, they brought Fraser obviously on a free and they, you know, those two know how to play very well together. Um, Jamal Lewis, Lewis. he's a left back. Mm. Looks like they're going to get uh, one of the the Arsenal one of Arsenal's like nine centre halves on loan, um, <laughs> and maybe even Martinez from Arsenal as well. He's actually a really good keeper. So scarily for me, I think Newcastle might actually, for the first time in quite a long time, whisper it, but be a good team again. <laughs> uh, I don't disagree. I, I feel like someone's uh, someone's upset Mike Ashley with all the whole. Um, Saudi Arabia deal falling through for the takeover. I want to say someone, I mean, the entirety of the North East, if you judge <laughs> by Twitter. It's been absolutely insufferable to watch. But it's almost like he's thrown a massive strop and he got, he's just literally in his chairman's room, which is full of like fireplaces and buckets. And he's just gone, right, boring am I? And he's booted a football. <laughs> and he's gone, right, do you know what? I'll, I'll show you some sort of... Uh, I'll show you what you really want and just sign another really sensible players and bolster the squad in all the positions that they needed to. In a way, it's a vindication for Steve Bruce because he's been so uh, maligned since he's gone in there and there's so many Newcastle fans that wrote him off and actively wanted him to fail so that they could feel righteous about themselves. And he did a really good job and he actually did... Uh, he he didn't do a good job at Sunderland, but nobody does a good job at Sunderland because they're a basket case. But you look at what he did at Birmingham and Wigan and Hull. He's actually a decent manager for a club at that kind of level. And um, yeah, I agree. I'm also, I, I, raised, uh, I raised it because I'm fascinated to see what happens at Everton um, because I think they've, they're in the most brilliant, circuitous way possible. They're spending a fortune to win the Everton Cup again. 
and finish seventh like they always <laughs> do. Um, but it's it'll be really exciting to see James Rodriguez in the Premier League and Allen's a shrewd signing and they'll actually have a dynamic midfield and, and Carlo Ancelotti seems to be getting a bit of a sense of identity there, um, which I, I'm not sure we'll, we'll see them any higher in the table, but they'll certainly be more interesting to watch. I think Decore as well, you missed off that list. Yeah. I, I yeah. want Decore at Spurs. He's another one I've, I've said to Fen over many a, many a pint and many a, many a sad evening, how I would happily have taken him at, at Tottenham. Um, but I do just think you made a good point on Steve Bruce. Do you also think it's possible that he's just alpha mailed Mike Ashley out of the room in who can be the child? Because I feel like he's come in and because he's been such a child about everything and he's so clearly a bit useless with how's the bacon, did you say? That I think <laughs> kind of like I think he like Mike Ashley's gone, Jesus, I've got to actually be the grown up here and actually make some smart decisions because I don't have Rafa. Well, sometimes you just get a you get a manager that doesn't necessarily work everywhere, but just fits for the circumstances. And uh, all they needed to do last year was stay up, and they did it pretty comfortably. And I think good luck to the guy, really. I actually think it puts Newcastle fans in quite an awkward position um, <laughs> because <laughs> because whilst obviously they they want to hate on Mike Ashley for understandable reasons. Um, but he's made sensible transfers, which he can't hate. But at the same time, it kind of vindicates the fact that he's been terrible for the last however many years because he's shown he can do it. Tom, I'm aware you, you've got away with not embarrassing yourself. So what, what, what are your predictions? Well, I was hoping you wouldn't raise that, but very clearly Spurs are going to win the league and there's <laughs> going to be a bottom three of Arsenal, Leeds and West Ham. <laughs> Don't so, worry about the rest of the top four then. Just the Spurs winning the league is all that counts. It's, the rest of the top four is irrelevant. Spurs finish first, second, third and fourth, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that could be more Spursy than that. I think with, with Jose, though, I've got a, a feeling that this is his last uh, club, club gig before uh, going for the Portugal national job. Um, you know, he's actually not a spring chicken anymore, and I think this might be his last hurrah. Um, I'm willing to put my, my sort of nomination forward first for, for when I think he'll get sacked. Uh, and my prediction um, is he'll be sacked on the 4th of January. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you exactly why. Because he has an appalling run of fixtures at the end of November into December. So he's got City, Chelsea, Arsenal. Fine, he's got Palace, but then he's got Liverpool, Leicester, Wolves. And that Wolves game is Boxing Day, and I don't think it'll be a box. You know, I don't think you sack someone on the twenty seventh when you've got that kind of two or three day break, and the fixtures come so thick and fast around. Then I think you wait until the next two games, and our next two games are Fulham and Leeds. And while I don't think either of those teams hopefully would beat us, I think if he has had an awful run of results and we've been, you know, given a, given a bit of a tanking. Once we're through the Boxing Day to New Year's Day sprint, the first Monday afterwards uh, is Monday the 4th of January. So that is my logic. Um, I've gone quite different, to be fair. I've, I've tried to give him the benefit of doubt, but I'm also trying to trying to fit in what Daniel Levy wants to give Jose and what he, how much time he wants to give him as well. Um, I think Daniel Levy wants to give him at least one real proper transfer window. Um, 
And I, 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 I think he'll make it to December 2022 um, and he does win us a trophy in that time. Um, try to be as optimistic as I can. I'm sort of between you. I think uh, probably November, December 2021. I think coronavirus gives him a free pass this season. Uh, and it's going to be fun to watch Jose moaning incessantly about professional athletes having to play football he will use that to his maximum and go oh no we can't possibly play three games in a fortnight when you look at his last few jobs and you get the kind of it all seems to go sour in the second or third season and and it looked when he first came into Spurs that he'd sort of sped it up and three years became three months but I think the Spurs actually ended last season pretty well, and I think pre-season's gone okay. And I just sense that this year, with things as they are, it's not the time to be firing people. And I think he, he sees this season out, and then the next season is where it all starts to go pear-shaped. Tom, don't know us hanging again. <laughs> the 20th of November, 2022. So I'm the only one going for the for the current season. season. Yeah. I've literally just picked the date he signed for Spurs and added three years because there is no <laughs> way that he can go beyond that is a that is a Mourinho expiry date. That's probably also around about the time that the season will stop that year for the World Cup. So I'm I'm the I'm intrigued by this. I'm the only one, you know, um, Ashley and, and Stan, you guys are seasoned pessimists and and jim i feel like you you realists certainly got your ability (laughs) i'm the only person who thinks that jose going mid-season is possible well it's that age-old question of who comes in if if Mourinho goes and i don't think as much as it would be romantic i don't think you would have a situation where it's all this forgiven potch please come back why why do you think that jim why do you think that wouldn't happen yeah, uh, I, I think uh, <laughs> uh, cliches are usually cliches because there's a degree of truth in them, and, and one of the best cliches is never go back. And that I just is, think he's you're using a cliche to talk about cliches, and it, it's meta and it's better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think he he will probably Poch might need, see himself as needing a, a different kind of challenge, um, and and I suspect that he might get one before the Spurs job comes up again. So the reason I find that interesting is because I think Poch would have thought exactly along the lines you've gone you've gone down. Uh, but this season, you've seen the Juventus job come and go. Bayern Munich come and go. Dortmund have been awful. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's no closer there. Uh, where is he going to get that job offer? I think there's, there's maybe an element that we as Spurs fans loved him so much. And, you know, for me... I remember crying when he got sacked. It was it was absolutely gutting. But I don't think that he gets an, a job better than Spurs. And if he stood a free agent, uh, you know, one thing that was very clear was that he and Daniel Levy left on very good terms and they're very amicable. Well, having said about United making some good signings, I do also think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is one bad window away from being fired. And if the United job comes up, they're not going to get top tier anymore. And Poch probably, to be brutal, probably isn't quite top tier. Um, And I think that would be very difficult for him to turn down if they came knocking. 
Oh, that'd be so horrible. He takes it straight away, though, and there's no doubt about that. He takes it straight away. I suppose the only other one which, to me, is interesting is uh, Poch, and I'm pretty sure we're doing kind of um, who goes where, what is at this stage, but uh, Poch has a very strong relationship with Paris Saint-Germain, where he was a club captain. He was uh, a bit of a sort of fan, uh, sort of legend figure there. Um, He also loves Real Madrid and hates Barcelona. And you look at Zidane, and I think Zidane could easily go on to Juventus, where he's also obviously uh, was an ex-player and had a a huge amount of success there. So if if Juventus with Pirlo fails the way that I think it will, you might see... You might see that job opening up and PSG two calls up at the end of next year. So, so those two, I suppose, are possible destinations. But I mean, if I was if I was Daniel Levy, I I would uh, if if Mourinho can't if we don't get to the midpoint of the Premier League season and we're not in the top four, in good form, in the cups, doing well, I would sack Mourinho in a heartbeat and I'd bring back the beloved Argentine who I wish we'd never let go. I think on that cheery note. We might be able to bring this to a close. Hopefully, that is a taster of a sort of camaraderie and gentle pitter-patter of Tottenham chat that you might be able to expect from us going forward into the new season. The aim is to, to release a small episode uh, every week just to give you uh, a good, decent-sized podcast. And as we said, in the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane, uh, where we'll be talking about all things Spurs and maybe the odd thing going on in the world of football that maybe catches our eye. Uh, so I hope you've enjoyed it. If you do, let us know. If you didn't, maybe let us know quietly and not so publicly. Um, and hopefully you'll tune in again sometime. So thank you to Ash, Jules and Jim uh, for putting up with me and my technical issues. <laughs> um, And I'll see you next time.